Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Well, good morning, Lifehouse fam. How's everyone doing today? So good to see everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hey, if it's your first, second, or third time, we want to once again say welcome, Lifehouse fam. Can we just give all of our first, second, and third time guests just a warm welcome? Let them know we're so glad to see them. If maybe this is your 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th time, whatever. A great next step for you is First Friday. So just want to encourage you, uh, come out and hang out with us. It's really, really chilled, laid back. We feed you. You hang out. It's awesome. It's great. But we cap it at 25 people. So I think right, right now we're right around 14 people that are signed up because we want it to be small. We don't want it to, to be something big. So if you want to sign up for that, I would suggest getting on that. Uh, secondly, uh, ladies, where are my ladies at? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a funny. Where, where are my ladies at? Yo, you guys have a retreat coming up this weekend, the Becoming Women's Retreat. Now, look, the daytime slots are filled. Um, but they have got open day slots. They're, they're going to like a $3.5 million house in Virginia Beach. I'm like, I want a man's retreat. I'm like, Carrie, when are we going to do a man's retreat, man? But we need to go in the woods. We don't need a $3.5 million house. We need, we need a tent and bugs to eat and mud to bathe us, right? I'm just kidding. No, that is not me. I'm not the camping type. I would die. If, if you put me out there by myself, I can't fish, hunt. I can't do none of that stuff. But I know Super Bowl facts from 1990, just in case. If you need someone to call about worthless football facts, I'm, I'm your guy. Uh, but guys, where are my guys at? Get your wives signed up for this. Get your wives signed up. Just tell her, look, I'll take care of the kid. He'll live. He might not eat, but he'll live, right? Guys, make sure you get child care taken care of. Make sure you pay for her. Get her to, to this. It's going to be life changing. All right, you can sign up for that at theaterchurchnn.com uh, under the events tab, and that'll just be awesome. All right, we're continuing a sermon series today called Get Ready. Turn to someone and say, get ready. The concept is this, that we are talking about things in your life that not if it happens, but when it happens, right? And unfortunately, Christians are some of the worst people at preparing, right? Where, where look, like we, we, we don't sometimes prepare for the battles that will inevitably come, right? What I tell every potentially married couple that, that is engaged, whatever, I tell them, you need marriage counseling. Because it's not if you hit issues in your marriage, it's when. It's not if, it's when. So you want to be prepared for when the issues happen. So one of the best ways you can actually do that is to get into marriage counseling. I don't care how long you've been together. I don't care how long you've dated. I don't care how long you have been living together. You shouldn't be doing that anyway. Just a heads up, all right? No, I'm just kidding. But, 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 you know, but at the same time, if you're going to get married, you should prepare for stuff that will inevitably happen. And one of the best ways you can do that is sitting down and getting marriage counseling with, with a trained pastor, counselor, whatever, so you can talk through money. You can talk through responsibilities. You can talk through sex. You can talk through communication. You can talk through all of, of these things that cause problems in relationships. You can talk about them up front. What you're doing is you're getting ready. 
you're getting ready. So this series is based on the things when they happen in life, not if they happen. And today, I think some of you might deal with this. I'm dealing with difficult people. Turn to someone and say, he's not talking about you. (laughs) Now turn to the other person and say, he might be talking about you. (laughs) He might be talking about you. Today's sermon is called The Blessing of Difficult People. Now many, times difficult, now, many times difficult people, they don't feel like blessings, they feel like burdens. But today, hopefully, prayerfully, at the end of today, you will see difficult people as somewhat of a blessing instead of a burden. So, so look, the truth is this. Today's, today's message isn't going to be easy. This is going in the deep end. Some of y'all are like, Pastor John, we need deep sermons. All right, we're going to get deep today. All right, we're going to get deep. Whenever we're talking about dealing with difficult people, we're going into the deep end. All right, so, so, so look, like, like you need to get yourself ready, get your seatbelt on. Because, look, the truth is, is, is this. What you hear today, you are accountable for. There are some things you can't unlisten to. Some things today... They're going to poke you and prod you, and they're not going to make sense to what you feel. But I want to challenge you to listen, but not just hear the words, hear what God would say to you also. The truth is this, with difficult people, many times we want to fix them. If they just listened to me, if they just did what I asked them to, if they just quit being stupid, if they just quit saying stupid things. If they would just do what I tell them to do, then it would be fixed. Like, we, we, we want to fix people. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I am learning this 10 years in this marriage game. You can't fix people. Anybody learning that? You're trying to fix your wife, men? Ladies, you're trying to fix your jacked-up husband? Nagging them? Leaving hints? Leaving little comments here? And they're challenging them on different things. You can't fix people. So whenever we get to this point where we finally realize we can't change or fix people, then it gets us at a good position. Why? Because the truth is this. Many times we pray and want God to to change somebody else when really God wants to change you. You want God to fix someone else when God's saying, yeah, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I want to fix you more than I want to fix them. God will use difficult people to change you. God will use, why? Because God takes all things and works them together for our good. Romans 8, 28 says that God takes all things, all, everyone say all, all things and makes them work for our good. Not that all things are good, but God is so good that God can take even bad, difficult people in your life and make them work for your good to get you better. Have you seen that? So look, we need to stop seeing difficult people as a burden and by God's grace start to seeing them as a blessing because the bottom line's this. God uses difficult people to change us. But at the same time, I think some of us blaze blame why we aren't changing on someone else. So we will say, my life would be better if that person would just. Things would be so much better if they just. My job would be so much better if they just. And really what you're doing when you take your your change and put it in somebody else's hands, 
you take the power that you have away. You basically say, well, I'm only going to change if this person changes. Look, you are, here's the thing. Yes, I know you want someone else to change, but honestly, you might need to get the eyes off of them and get it onto you and be like, God, if these people aren't going to change, change me so I can treat them better, right? So, why does it matter how we treat and deal with difficult people? Jesus said this, man. Jesus was really practical. What I love about Jesus is Jesus always took complex things and made them simple. And it's really crazy. The God in the form of man did not speak over people's heads. He said, I'm going to take 600 and some laws, right? There was 600 and some Jewish, Jewish laws. And Jesus said, I'm going to break these laws down and I'm going to make them two for you. The first is this, love God. The second is this, love people. So basically, God was saying, your love for God will dictate how you love people. And God even, you know, is basically one of the greatest evidences of our love for God is how we treat people, difficult or not. One of the greatest evidences that we shout to the world in this world of who we love and who we follow and who we serve isn't what we say. It's how we treat people. People mean the most to God. People matter to God. Do you know who Jesus died for people, even difficult ones, messed up ones. You can tell what something is worth by what someone is willing to pay. And Jesus was willing to give his life, his perfect sinless life for people. James chapter 3, this is James here. He was a church, uh, a church overseer leader. He wrote this in James 3 where he was talking about the power of our words. He was saying, your words matter. Your words hold weight. He says this. He says, in one sentence, you bless somebody, so you speak well of them. Then in the next sentence, you curse them. He said, yo, Christians, this shouldn't be. He said, you bless them one second. The next second, you, the next second you curse them. And then he says this. You curse the very people who are made in God's image. Jesus says it, or James encourages us with this. He's like, when you curse and put down people, you're not just putting down people, you're putting down the creator that made those people. Scripture says that we're made in God's image, that we have a part about us, a piece of us, that we have this innate worth that is given to us by God himself because we're made in his image. So the bottom line is this, whenever we mistreat people, we're not just mistreating people, we're mistreating the God that made people. Are you seeing this? Do you see this? How we treat people matters, even difficult ones, even messed up ones, even ones we don't understand. So we've got to get and obtain what, you know, how God sees people. But today I want to give you five things to help you deal with difficult people. And I know many of you are in different contexts, many different places, and you have different people in different, you have difficult people in different places. Maybe it's your spouse. And your spouse is that difficult person that you're thinking of. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's, who knows, whatever context you are in. Whenever I say difficult people, I know some people pop into your mind, right? Where you've got somebody that you think of. So apply these five things to them. Dealing with difficult people, number one. Um, overlook the offense from them. Overlook the offense from them. Proverbs 12, 16, this is Solomon writing. He says, as fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. 
Proverbs 19.11 says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now let's just be honest. We don't have a proclivity to overlook offenses. We like to magnify them. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Get out the magnifying glass. Oh, that one comment, we take it and we just magnify it, and they just didn't mean that we didn't smell good. They meant I'm a horrible human being. They questioned my very existence. And y'all know how it is. Then in your brain, you start having imaginary conversations with yourself where you're in the shower, and instead of singing joyful noises unto the Lord, you're in the shower going through conversations with these people of what you would say and how you'd say it to them. And if they just looked at me that way one more time, I'd rip their gum out and stuff it in their ear. Like, I'm saying, maybe I'm just telling you what I think. Uh, but it's like you, you take one offense, you take the offense from, from somebody, and it starts out as one little BB, but then it turns into a nuclear bomb. Why? Because you're taking it and you let it fester. You let it have life. You let it live in your mind. And honestly, many times it's not even something that somebody even knows what they said or did. Many times it's just things that we hold inside that we, oh, well, it's, it's, it's you know, maybe it's me. I need to get over myself. And they keep saying the thing, they keep doing the thing, and then you're like, well, you know, it's, it's just me. But it's really bothering you. And it really offends you. But I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, just, just you know. And, and my mom was the best at this. My mom, somebody would offend her. And she'd come home, and I was like seven, eight years old. And she would be stewing. And I'll never forget the one time my mom said enough is enough. She, she went over to this woman's house, this was church people. These church folk, they like, were together in ministry. And then she just kept on saying something to my mom, and my mom just you know, held it in, 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 held it in. And then she went over to her house, and I, and I just remember her saying, John, stay in the car. <laughs> okay. The windows were down, though. <laughs> and, and I just remember, you don't know! meant to me i mean like yelling insane and and i'm just like you know me i'm scared i mean i don't know what's gonna happen you know what i'm saying but i i remember that but i remember it was because my mom let it fester instead of dealing with it as a bb she waited until she exploded as a nuclear bomb and we cannot let offense live because offense doesn't take an inch it never does offense wants to take a mile it wants to take two miles. It wants to take three. It wants, it wants to, to take four. The pain of, con- of confrontation, the pain of confrontation is less than the pain of deep-rooted offense. There's so much less. Yes, is it pain to confront people? Absolutely. If you like, con- if you, if you like confrontation, you're probably a very interesting personality, Okay. But if you like confrontation, like, yeah, that's, that's hard for anybody. But the pain of doing that is so much less than the pain of festering offense when it, over, when it explodes and overflows. So, y'all, let me tell you how we have to handle this. Even within the church, our relationships and stuff like that, you've got to go to the person that has offended you and tell them. Y'all, some of you are holding on to offenses that you've just been holding on to for years with the same people, and then you wonder why? It's because they don't know. 
And then it, it kind of explodes here and there, and you say certain things, and you snap, and you react, when really the, the thing is you've got to deal with the offense that you have towards these so-called difficult people. The thing is they're difficult because you haven't dealt with your offense. So you just, you just need to get that out. Why? Because offense will always be a stronghold. But you've got to not overlook what they did, but you've got to deal, deal with it. Offense undealt with offense will kill a church flat out if you have because here's the bottom line i'm gonna offend you i love you all of you y'all my people i love this church i love all of you every single person here but i know probably at some point in time not willingly not out of my own decision not out of my choice i will say something that might offend you i might do something that might offend you i know there's people like they have been offended because i didn't hug them You know, it's, it's, it's like, but, but it's like, we just, we just have to, to know. It's like, if we, if we offend, or if somebody offends us, let's not keep it quiet. Let's be man and women of God, and let's deal with it when it's a BB. Jesus says this, Matthew 18. He says, if somebody offends you, go to them. Go to them. But here's the bottom line. We would rather deal with the pain of, of, of pent-up offense than the pain of confrontation. And because of that, we miss out on, see, here's, here, here's the thing. Conflict can be a catalyst for growth if we let it. Many times we would just want to get away from conflict. Many times the best relationships that I currently have are those that I've gone through conflict with. And we've had to work some stuff out. We've, we've had to get some, some stuff talked about. I didn't like what you did. I didn't like what you said. I felt this when you did that. I, I felt, felt that. So there's going to be times where you're going to have to deal with offense to strengthen your relationship. The barrier in your relationships might be the fact of you're not dealing with offense. And you're calling them difficult, but the truth is you won't deal with the offense you have towards them. Everyone good? Everybody, everybody with me still? You still like me? Anybody offended at me? I'll apologize now. Number two, ready? pray for them. Don't just overlook the offense from them. Pray for them. And I don't know about you. Sometimes the things that I want to pray are called imprecatory prayers. In in theological terms, those are the prayers in the book of Psalms that David prayed over his enemies. So David, there there would be prayers written that would say things like, God, kill them. God, break their teeth. And obviously, the, you know, and obviously those are prayers that David prayed in a, in a very dark place, a very confined place where he was, he felt entrapped. He felt like he had nowhere to go, but he was being real with God. And I would encourage you to do that. Be real with God. Tell him what's on your heart. But at the same time, those difficult people in your life, you need to pray for them. Luke 26, 27 through 28 tells us this. Jesus is talking here. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who love who." hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You've got to pray. See, because here's the thing. Prayer doesn't change them. Prayer changes you. That's what we've got to see. Instead of our prayers being, God, change someone else, the prayer's got to be, God, change my heart. Why? Because prayer isn't just the whole thing of you asking God with your, like, wish list. Prayer is spending time with God so you can become more like God. 
Prayer is communication. Prayer isn't just, all right, God, I got seven things I need to bring before you, and I need them by noon. All right, thank you. You're a good father. Good, good father. You know, take the seven things, and, and it's all good. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Prayer is communicating with God where you'll speak to God, and if, if you be quiet long enough, God will speak back. And you can hear him and listen to him, and he'll speak through God's word. He will speak to you. But here's the thing. With difficult people, we've got to say, instead of praying to God, Lord, change them. They're acting crazy. God, you say, God, what kind of perspective do I need towards them that only you can give me? Prayer isn't just about them. Prayer is about you. Prayer doesn't just change them. Prayer changes you. Because many times in difficult relationships, what we need most is a new perspective. We always want a brand new plan, a brand new whatever, but honestly, many times in a relationship, we need a brand new perspective. Husbands here, do you pray over your wife? Wives here, do you pray over your husband? What I tell every married couple, there is not a more intimate thing, a more God-honoring thing that, that a guy can do than to take his wife's hands, look her in the eyes, and say, babe, I love you. Let me pray for you. And you as the man of the house, the one that God has given spiritual responsibility to as the head of their home, you pray with the authority that God has given you blessing over your wife and over your children. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more intimate. There, there, there is nothing more moving where y'all have issues in your marriage but the thing is is do you pray do you pray for each other and i'm not talking about well i pray for when i was on my way to work i pray for him while he was cutting the grass with his shirt off i was like lord pray he gets on a diet you know it's like it's, it's like i'm not talking about that kind of stuff I'm, I'm i'm talking about are you actually joining together and praying blessing over them because some of you you just need a new perspective towards your wife husband or whatever and you wonder why you're having so many issues, but then you're, do you pray for them? Because prayer will help you see them the way that God sees them instead of the way you want to see them. Where you want to see them as lazy and mean and this, that, and, and, and look, here's, here's the thing. If your husband is abusive to you, man, if your wife is abusive to you, I'm not telling, like, don't, pray for them, but run. Go to the cops. You're being physically abused, sexually abused, or, or something like that. This is a difficult person, but at the same time, you need to get out of that relationship right now and get help. But at the same time, many of you are in difficult relationships, and you wonder why, but there's absolutely no prayer going on, only complaining. Only complaining. And guys, let me tell you this. Um, you might be, here's, here's the, I, I think guys struggle many, many times because we, like, we're like, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know how to pray. Guys, are you with me? We can, we can sometimes feel that like I don't even know what to pray. God, thank you. Bye. Like, uh, but, but at the same time, like, pray over your wife what you'd want somebody to pray over you. Do you even know what your, what your wife needs prayer for? Ladies, do you even know what, what your husband needs prayer for? Have you ever asked him, baby, what can I pray for you about? Husbands, have you ever asked your wife, baby, what can I pray for you ab about? 
there's something powerful in that. Maybe at your job, maybe instead of complaining about how bad your boss is, how, how bad your coworkers are, what if you turn those complaints into prayers? What if you say the moment you're about to complain, that's a siren in your soul that says, I need to pray for them instead of complain about them? Because what it will do is it will give you a new perspective. Because what I've seen is couples that pray together, not that they don't fight, not that they don't have, have stuff going on, but it's hard to fight and it's hard to stay angry whenever you go to the God of heaven and earth that forgave your sins when you didn't deserve it, that overlooked your stuff to love you. It's hard to pray to that guy and hold offense to someone else. Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Mazda. I find it crazy that Jesus, when he was on the cross and he was being murdered by people he made, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His first response was to pray. His first response was to pray for those who were persecuting him. When you spend time in prayer, it changes you. Thirdly, everyone good still? All right, bless them. Don't just overlook the offense. Don't just pray for them. Number three, bless them. Scripture says this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. To, to bless them means, means to speak well of. It means to speak well of. And we need to know, guys, we need to be reminded of the power of our words. Power of our Scripture tells us this, that life and death is in the power of what you say. Do you understand your words have creative power to shape an atmosphere in your home, at your job, in whatever context that you walk in. Your words have power. How, how can we see this? First off, Scripture tells us it in Proverbs. Secondly, God didn't create anything in this world until he spoke. It says, and then God said, let us make man in our image. And then God said, let there be light. And then God said, God said, God said, God said. What God was showing us is that there was creative power in what we say. We're made in God's what? Image. So our words, as we speak them, they have power to create the atmosphere that we want to see happen. And many times we can take our words and we just got words that we just throw, throw out there, throw out there, whatever, whatever. When in reality, when you throw out words, you are creating an atmosphere. What if at whatever atmosphere you can't stand being, whatever people you're with that you can't stand, what if in, instead of cursing them and calling them names and joking on them and telling them how bad they're doing, what if you actually start to speak what you hope to see happen in their life and then give it time? People need to be blessed, man. There is so much. I mean, we live in a crazy world right now, don't we? Everyone just speaks whatever, no respect, no grace. I mean, good Lord, man. Bless them. Bless them. Number four. We're going to camp here some. Forgive them. Overlook the offense from them whatever difficult person, pray for them, whatever that difficult person is, bless them, whoever that difficult person is, and fourthly, forgive them. I know you might be like, John, you don't understand. You don't understand what I walked through. You don't understand what I have lived through. You don't understand what that person did to put me in the position that I'm in now, where I'm going to be in this position for the rest of my life because of something they did. John, I could never, ever forgive them. I feel you. I feel you. But let me talk a little bit about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. First off, forgiveness isn't minimizing what they did. It's you saying, I'm not going to hold the bill. 
Forgiveness isn't minimizing what anybody or anybody did to you. It's not saying, oh, what they did, it's, it's okay, we'll just go, you know. What forgiving somebody is acknowledging what they did, but also saying, I can't be judge or jury for you. I've got to let it go. Because what so many of us do is we walk around in life with so many hurts and we walked around with clenched fists and just angry about what people did to us and what they said to us and we hold unforgiveness in us and we're just walking around angry and bitter we're snapping at people being angry with people and really what is going on is you have unforgiven hurts from other people and your hands are just like clenched fists and with these clenched fists you have no way to grab the good things that God has in your life because your hands are holding on to something that as a Christ follower, you were called to let go of. Forgiveness, you know what that word actually means in Greek? The word in Greek actually means let it go. Literally. Someone just started singing let it go. Don't ever do that again in my service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're, a, you're a difficult person right now. I'm going to pray for you. But you, you want to let it go because what I've heard unforgiveness like is like you drink poison and expect the other person to die. It's like holding on to unforgiveness is cancerous to your soul. And do you know what happens whenever you let it go? If forgiveness is actually an incredible act of faith because it's you saying, I'm not going to do God's job. You know, scripture is really, really clear that God is going to judge one day. I know some of us think, oh, man, people can kind of do what they want to do now. No one's, God's not, you know, doing crazy things like that. But there's, the scripture is very clear. One day there's going to be a day where God is going to right all the wrongs. All the things you've had done for you that are wrong, God is going to repay those who have done evil. God is going to right the wrongs. So look, you know what you need to do? I know you've got the gavel of what you want to tell people and say to people and stuff that, that, that you want to proclaim over people. You need to take that gavel and give it to the one that actually can and will judge. You need to give it over to him because judging people and condemning people and, and getting things right is way above your pay grade. That's God's job. You let it go so it can let go of you. You let it go so it can let go. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't mince words with this. Jesus wasn't ambiguous, you know, didn't have ambiguity concerning the power and purpose and weight of forgiving people. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 15. He said, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I know you're like, yo, that's like harsh. But at the same time, why Jesus says this is because, and I want to make sure I say this right. Can you go to not the next slide, but the slide after? You will never forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. You will never, ever forgive somebody more than God has forgiven you. So that's why whenever Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, you can't be forgiven. Why? Because you can't give something that you've been given. He says, why am I going to give it to you when you can't give it to others? Now, now also, also too, though, let me dig in here. Forgiveness 
that's hard. Forgiveness is instantaneous yet continual. What I mean by that is there are going to be times where you're going to have to make a decision to forgive people and you won't feel like it. You won't sense it. You'll be like, this is absolutely insane. This doesn't make any sense at all. You're not going to feel it. But at the same time, you're going to have to make an act in faith to say, I forgive them. And over time, let your feelings keep up to the decision that you made. And instead of saying, I'm going to do what my feelings tell me, you say, I'm going to do what God's word says and let my feelings catch up to the choice that I made based on God's word and God's principles. Many times, unfortunately, we say we're only going to do what God's, what God's standards are if I feel it. Are you, ta- like, are you kidding me? We can't be led by our feelings, y'all. Our feelings are fallen. Our feelings lie to us. Our feelings are up and down and crazy. I'm actually preaching next Sunday called Get Ready for Feelings. It's called All the Feels. Because we are such a feeling-driven culture that we miss many times what God wants to do because our feelings conflict with what God's standards are. And we've got to say, are we going to be led by our feelings or are we going to interpret them and then have God, okay, what does God's Word say? This is what I feel and this is what God's Word says. So look, forgiveness is instantaneous. I mean, you've got to make the choice, but then the process that plays out is a long process where your feelings have to catch up to, to the choice that you made. Because look, some of y'all have been hurt so bad. And here's the thing, forgiveness and reconciliation are different. And forgiveness doesn't mean everything goes back to the way it was and all is good and it's just like it, it never happened. You can forgive somebody and still have boundaries, Okay. You can forgive somebody, but still have strict boundaries. Forgiveness and trust are different. You can forgive somebody and still not trust them, right? So you you need to say, okay, I'm going to make this decision and be wise in the standards that I give. But the truth is, if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. Number five, do good to them. Do good to them. Overlook the offense, pray for them, bless them, forgive them. Fifth is do good to them. Romans 12, 17 through 21, the message Bible says this, don't, don't hit back. Don't punch them in the face. Don't smack them in the face. <laughs> Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't assist on getting even. That's not your job to do, right? I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Say, I'll take care of it. Say, God will take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Go buy that person some Chick-fil-A, some of God's chicken. Go buy him an eight-piece nugget. Go buy him a four-piece chicken chicken strip. Get the extra size fry. The extra size sweet tea with lemonade mix. Come on, Arnold Palmer lovers. Anybody out there? Just got y'all hungry for Chick-fil-A and y'all can't even eat it now. Because it's Sunday. If your enemy's hungry, go buy that person some lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Don't let evil get the best of you. Tell somebody, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Let me tell you what I think Paul is saying. Evil's lurking in your hearts, guys. Your bent is towards evil. 
Your bent is towards what feelings, what you want to do. You want to repay. You want people to pay for what they did. Like you, you got justice in you. You want that. But it's saying, be, don't let evil overcome you. Overcome evil with good. And that's why he's saying, go and buy them something. Go the extra mile and buy them lunch with clenched teeth. Why? Because what I, what I see Paul at least to me, what he's saying here is you need to punch evil in the face instead of punching someone in the face. So that energy that you have of anger and just toward, towards to take that energy that you have and put it towards doing something good instead of doing something that will forward evil. Do something that will forward the good. What a challenge, isn't it? What a challenge that Scripture gives us in viewing people and loving people and serving people. And I'll be straight with you. These five things straight up are impossible. Welcome to Lifehouse. Have a great day. Let's pray. God, thank you. These are impossible. Thank you. We can't do them. Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a great day. These are impossible. These are impossible if you've never been on the receiving end of them. But if you've been on the receiving end of all of these things, then that is the fuel that you need to be the one giving them to the one that doesn't deserve it either. And I don't know if you've seen this, all these things that God, all these things that I I talked about overlooking the offense, praying, blessing. I always forget my fourth point. Blessing, what's the, oh, forgive them and then do good to them. All of these things Jesus has done for you. That's why this is a blessing, guys. Though when I say the blessing of difficult people, the blessing is now you know a little bit about what God feels like dealing with you. Now you know a little bit about what God feels like dealing with you. Do you know you're dealing with difficult people? Do you know who the most difficult person is in this world? You! But that's what God, that now you have a little feeling about what God feels. But in spite of what God felt or even wanted to do, God overlooked your offenses. He prayed, you know what it says right now? That Jesus is in heaven interceding for you. He blesses you when you don't deserve it. He does good to you. He's been good to you. If you're breathing, he's been good to you today. All of these things Jesus has done for you. He's forgiven you. When Jesus went on the cross and died, that's what he did. He died in your place and for your sins to bring forgiveness. He did not hold your sins against you. He said, I'm going to become sin for you. The one who was sinless became sin so he could die in your place and for your sins so it would not be held against us. The penalty that we deserved fell on him. So these things, you can't do this with your willpower. All of these things bring life to this earth. All these things speak loudly about who, but you can't do this by yourself. You can only do it if you've had a true, authentic, real encounter with God. Flat out. And that's the fuel you need. That is the fuel that you need to give these things when that person, that difficult person, those difficult people that you have, when they don't deserve it, you say, you know what, I've been 
God's dealt with the most difficult person on this world, and that's me. You know Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, called himself the chief of sinners. You know what he was basically saying there? The closer he gets to God, the worse he sees that he is, and in light of that, the more grace he gives to others. That's why we need an encounter and to get close to God, because do you know what? What that does, it helps us see more of who we truly are so we can give the grace that we've been given by God. Do you see this? Dealing with difficult people. I know it's hard. It's jacked up. It's, it's messed up. But you have been given all of these things. And the only way to do it, Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 8. He said this, as you have freely received, freely give. Jesus is saying, disciples, as you've freely been given me, take what you've been given from me and give it to others. You need, to, you need an encounter with God, church. I'm not talking about an encounter with a church. I'm not an encounter with a book. I'm not an encounter. You need an encounter with the living God to be able to deal with difficult people in the way that God asks and requires you. And some of you today, you know God, but you're dealing with difficult people and you know you're failing at it. And today you need a fresh insight. You need a fresh revelation of God's gospel of Jesus, of, of what Jesus has done and been to you so you can get the grace that you need to love and serve and bless and do good to and forgive and overlook the offense of difficult people. Let's stand up, church. God, we just want to pause right now. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this word. Lord, I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. I know it's, it challenges us in many ways. And God, I pray that you take the word that was spoken today and you make it palatable to people's lives and to people's hearts and to people's souls and that they would not just hear the word today but they would go and apply it. With every head bowed, every eye closed, that this is a time of privacy, you and God. I know some of you today, you've never made a decision. You've never made a choice. You've never drawn a line in the sand and crossed it and, and said, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And today can be that moment for you. Maybe you are here. Maybe you started that journey one other time, but, but you've fallen off, you've fallen off, you've fallen off, and you, you know you're not right with God today. You know you're not where you should be, but today can be your moment. Today can be your time to say, God, I'm all in. I'm on board. It just got to be some long, drawn-out prayer. It can simply be this prayer. God, I give you my heart. Pray that right now, would you? If that's you, just say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin. God, I need your help. I need you to save me. Just, just pray those things right now. You don't need no long drawn out prayer. God sees your heart. Father, I pray for every person that said that prayer today, that gave their life to you, that made the decision today to give their life to you, to have a fresh encounter of who you are. I pray you'd fill them. I pray you'd answer their prayer. God, we, we know that your word simply says, ask and we shall receive. And Father, I pray for those that asked you for a fresh start today, asked you for a new heart today, that you would give it to them, that this moment, from this moment forward, nothing would be the same. We take you, God, and we believe that anyone that is in Christ is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Lifehouse fam, let's give it up for anyone here that said that prayer today for the first time. Come on. If you prayed those things and you meant it, you sincerely believed it, listen, we want to know. 
we're not gonna call you up, pray for you, or anything like that, but we wanna celebrate with you, give you a few different tools right after service here. Would you, would you go outside, next steps booth, and just stop by there and just say, I gave my life to Jesus today. We're gonna give you a couple tools. We're gonna celebrate with you. And look, we wanna come alongside you and help you along this journey of following Jesus. Everyone else here, look, this is what we're gonna do. We're just, we're just gonna sing and let this time be between you and God. I don't know what difficult people you're dealing with, what people you're struggling to forgive, what people at your job, your workplace, and your family with your friends that are just difficult right now, that you need a fresh encounter with Jesus because so you can be reminded of how Jesus dealt with you so it will be the fuel that you need to deal with difficult people. So we're just gonna sing. I just want you to take some moments. This could be a life-changing moment. Please don't get up, walk out, leave. Let's, let's, let's give God some time in this moment. Let's not worry about where we're gonna eat at. I know you wanna eat, I'm, I'm hungry too. Okay, we're all hungry. You know, wanna go eat, but at the same time, this could be a life-changing moment for you or for someone else. Let's, let's focus. God, we love you. I pray for those today that need a fresh encounter with your grace, your mercy, your love, and your forgiveness. Give them today a fresh perspective in Jesus' name. Amen, it's Worship Lifehouse. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.